Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spirit Led Hope. My name is Glenn Erickson, and in this episode, we're discussing part one of the results of baptism with the Holy Spirit. This topic is very important, but unfortunately, it's become a point of disagreement and confusion within the Christian community. And it seems to make a lot of sense to me to discuss it now because in the following episodes, we're going to talk about speaking in tongues. And most Pentecostal and charismatic Christians link baptism with the Holy Spirit to speaking in tongues. Because this is such a critical topic, I want to recommend a resource to you for additional study. It's a book. It's called The Promise of the Father. It's written by Dr. Steve Shell, And I'll include the name of the book and the author in the episode description if you're interested. The Promise of the Father covers baptism with the Holy Spirit as well as spiritual gifts like uh, prophecy and the gift of tongues. This is a useful book. It's an easy read, and Steve Shell goes deeper into scriptures than I tend to do in these podcasts. Before we start talking about baptism with the Holy Spirit, I want to take a moment to talk about one of the barriers we have when we're discussing the works of the Holy Spirit. Because we live in physical bodies, there are limits to our ability to process spiritual things. For example, because the Holy Spirit is spirit, we cannot see the Holy Spirit or physically touch the Holy Spirit. And it's even harder than that. We cannot even properly imagine the Holy Spirit. We just can't do it. You know, thinking about Jesus is easy because he lived his life on earth as a human being. We can picture Jesus putting his hands on people to heal them or putting his arms around them to comfort them. But the Holy Spirit does not have a body. So how does he do it? There's an interesting story in Judges 15 about Samson. Samson is tied up with ropes, and a group of men are ready to hand him over to the Philistines. Now, the Philistines hated Samson, and they plan on killing him. This is what the book of Judges says happened to Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Okay, that's a wild story. But we know from this story that Samson's abilities and power came from the Holy Spirit. But what was the mechanism? I mean, how did this work? Did the Holy Spirit release large amounts of adrenaline, for example, into Samson so he'd have extra power? Or did the Holy Spirit somehow join with Samson and give him extra strength and coordination and stamina? I mean, the text doesn't say. And what we find in the Bible is that it does not attempt to describe to us how the Holy Spirit does what he does. So, for example, we know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit dwells within every believer. Okay, what does that look like? Okay, the Holy Spirit's everywhere, yet somehow there's this special relationship with those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. When talking about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, A.W. Tozer described this as the Holy Spirit penetrating our spirit. Others might say that the Holy Spirit joins with our spirit. Both are attempts 
to describe the same thing in a way that we can comprehend. But really, neither can fully capture or describe the things of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is beyond us. And that leaves us in a very interesting position. The Bible uses various terms about the Holy Spirit, how He interacts with us. For example, from Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is with us, in us, upon us. We see the Holy Spirit baptizes us and fills us. But Scripture does not definitionally describe the mechanics of those relationships. It doesn't define how that works. However, what the Bible does do is it describes the results of those relationships. So, for example, we just read the results of what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. He had extra power, he had extra strength. Now, for another example, in John 16, Jesus described what the Holy Spirit does when he's with people. We see that when the Holy Spirit is with people, he brings conviction of sin, he shows God's righteousness, and he points people to Jesus. Now, how that exactly takes place, the Bible does not tell us, but we know it's true, because anyone following Jesus has already experienced the Holy Spirit doing these things to them. With that background in mind, let's look at baptism with the Holy Spirit, and we'll come back to this idea of results a little later. There are two main positions about what baptism with the Holy Spirit is. And by the way, if you hear someone say baptism in the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit, they're all talking about the same thing. Sometimes I may flip back and forth. The most predominant view of baptism with the Holy Spirit is that it refers to the moment when someone becomes a Christian. So it's at that moment when someone repents, believes in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within them. So, a scripture supporting this is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13, which goes like this. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. What this is saying is that every Christian undergoes baptism with the Holy Spirit. And there may be no dramatic experience related to this moment. It's something accepted by faith, and really it's a reliance in what the Bible promises. At Pentecost, Peter said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This verse is talking about us. According to this first view of baptism with the Holy Spirit, we can all be confident as Christians that the Holy Spirit lives within us. The second view of baptism with the Holy Spirit is taught by those typically with Pentecostal or charismatic beliefs. In this view, Baptism with the Holy Spirit may or may not occur at conversion, but when it happens, there's an awareness that something took place because the recipient experiences God's power. And that power may be demonstrated by speaking in tongues or speaking prophetically. 
In other words, when you experience this type of baptism with the Holy Spirit, you know it because something happens. Christians with this view of baptism with the Holy Spirit look at scriptures like those found in the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said this to the disciples before ascending to heaven. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said this, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In these verses, there's a relationship between baptism with the Holy Spirit and power. And if you then read through the book of Acts, you'll find multiple accounts of the Holy Spirit baptizing people with visible evidence of power as they speak in tongues or prophesy. In Samaria, we see a delayed effect where people are already believers, but they receive the power of the Holy Spirit later when Peter and John come and lay hands on them. And we see something similar with Saul, where he experiences conversion on the road to Damascus, but he's then filled with the Spirit a few days later. It's because of verses like these that the second view of baptism with the Holy Spirit acknowledges that it can be an event after and distinct from conversion. It doesn't have to be, but it often is. In this second view, there's also a strong relationship between being filled with the Holy Spirit and baptism with the Holy Spirit. So, we're encouraging Scripture to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, you see multiple accounts where the disciples are filled with the Spirit and then exhibit God's power in word or or action. And these moments became possible because they were first baptized with the Holy Spirit in power. So, in other words, baptism with the Holy Spirit was the first time they experienced the power of being filled with the Holy Spirit. This then equipped them to do what Jesus said, to be his witnesses throughout the world. Those are the two main views of baptism with the Holy Spirit, given very quickly. What often happens is that Christians can become very entrenched and argumentative in how they define baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, in this podcast episode, I want to take a different approach and not try to prove one side or the other. But I want to make the claim that both are important. In fact, when you look through the whole scripture on baptism with the Holy Spirit, you'll find that there's evidence for both viewpoints. I gave just a few examples earlier. I believe this is one of those cases where it's not one or the other, but both can be true at the same time. And we see this often through scripture. One of the biggest examples is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Both are true. And you cannot focus exclusively on one side without missing something critical from the other. Now, the importance of baptism with the Holy Spirit is not really on the same scale as the nature of Jesus, because there we're talking about the nature of God. But since we see in verses like Mark 1.8 that Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, we don't want to miss what Jesus has for us when it comes to baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
At the start of this episode, I talked about how the Bible does not explain in detail the mechanics of how the Holy Spirit works. But what the Bible does do is explain the results of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. What I want to do now is list some results that come from being a Christian and a disciple of Jesus. And the results I'm listing, they just come straight from Scripture. But if you think about each one, you'll find that they are made possible by one or both of the viewpoints of baptism with the Holy Spirit we just talked about. I want us to do a couple of things as I read these. And the first is just to marvel over them. Let hope spring up within you as you hear these, because these are amazing things available to all Christians. The second thing is don't panic or worry if something does not seem applicable to you right now. But what I want you to do is to mentally note the things that don't seem to apply to you, right? Or you don't believe in them. This exercise will help us identify our personal beliefs about baptism with the Holy Spirit. So, in no special order, here are some results that I believe every Christ follower can experience in their relationship with God because of baptism with the Holy Spirit. Here we go. I'm going to go fast. One, a knowing that you are adopted into God's family. Two, an awareness of the love of the Father and a heart of love towards Him. Three, gratefulness and thankfulness to God the Father in the name of Jesus. Four, a lifetime of transformation and growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control through the Holy Spirit so we can be more like Jesus. Five, the confidence that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Six, the strength, power, and desire to grow in holiness and battle against our sinful nature. Seven, the desire to tell others about Jesus and be witnesses for Him. Eight, the desire to serve others with the love of Jesus. Nine, the power to serve God through spiritual gifts, including healing, prophecy, miracles, speaking in unknown languages, understanding unknown languages, having God's wisdom and knowledge, along with extra faith and the ability to see into the spiritual realm. 10. The ability to pray frequently. 11. An expectation of frequently being filled with the Spirit. 12. A heart to worship God and to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. 13. An ever-continuing desire and ability to grow in love for God and others. 14. A desire to obey God and live in a way that pleases God. And finally, number 15. A willingness and joy in surrendering one's total self to God. And that is a partial list. Now, as I read the list, you may have found that you experience every one of these things, or at least you think they're possible, but you may have also recognized that you don't experience some of these things. You may even realize that you don't believe in some of them. Maybe some of these results of being a Christian are totally new to you. You know, it's also possible that you've prayed for some of these things, but you feel like your prayers were never answered, and so you question if they're true. Or maybe even that You once felt you had something on the list, but that you lost it. There are many ways we can react to this list. 
And there is no right or wrong way. And I'm going to say that again, there is no right or wrong way. It's where we are personally in our own life. But this exercise helps us clarify what we believe should result from baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God wants to stir us up a bit and make sure that we do know what we believe about what should result from our relationship with Him. Within the body of Christ, we have some freedom to disagree on the technical definition of baptism with the Holy Spirit. But I hope that we can find agreement in what the result of a life with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit should include. I'm going to try to summarize the whole list in just a paragraph. So my take on Scripture is that baptism with the Holy Spirit includes the confidence that the Holy Spirit lives within us, never to leave us, and the assurance that the Father loves us with an everlasting love, and that our Lord Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit so that our character can be transformed and we can serve God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's like a one-paragraph summary of a lot of text. If your definition of baptism with the Holy Spirit leads to those results, then I think we may be on the same page, even if we have technical differences in our definitions. I realize that this episode will make some people uncomfortable because it may challenge their beliefs about baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I can say that with confidence because this is something I experienced. I spent the first 25 years of my Christian life believing in the first viewpoint of baptism with the Holy Spirit, and was shocked to find out that I was missing the second. And then after moving into the second viewpoint, I realized how vital it was to have the first. And that's why you will hear me pointing out the truths of both viewpoints. Scripture does support both. And again, Steve Schell's book, The Promise of the Father, is a great resource so you can see his take on this topic. He's a great teacher, and you can hear his conclusions. I hope that between this episode and the next, you challenge yourself and you prayerfully consider your beliefs about baptism with the Holy Spirit. God has so much for each one of us, and He's calling us into a deeper relationship with Him. In the next episode, we'll continue talking about baptism with the Holy Spirit, and I'll share a bit of my own journey. And then, finally, we'll move into discussing the gift of tongues. And now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Until next episode, take care.